to the latest edition of the Pound for Pound podcast. This is your host, the OG Rob Silver, and today we are going to review Friday night's card in Newark, New Jersey that I attended, the homecoming for one of the greatest fighters active today, the single greatest defensive fighter in the world, Shakur Stevenson. Then we will talk about Saturday night's uh, fight between Joe Joyce and Joseph Parker, heavyweight title elimination fight. And then I will go ahead and read my 22nd greatest fighter of the last 45 years historical retrospective that I wrote eight months ago on the Fight Game Media Network website, fightgamemedia.com. And my number 22 greatest fighter of the last 45 years is the golden boy himself, Oscar De La Hoya. Before I begin with Friday night's festivities at an almost sold out Prudential Center in Newark, New Jersey to see the homecoming of their hometown hero, hometown legend, the very young and incredibly gifted Shakur Stevenson, one to let you guys know that for $5 a month on the Fight Game Media Network Patreon podcast feed, the link is in the description of this podcast, you can get extra bonus footage, extra bonus podcasts from myself on the Mike Tyson All 8 Controversial Hulu docuseries. The CEO of Fight Game Media, Garrett Gonzalez, and I did four episodes, four episodes, all available now on the Patreon feed for $5 a month. You can hear all four episodes in which we reviewed all eight episodes of the very controversial Hulu on Mike Tyson series. We break down fact versus fiction and we tell you like it is. We tell you exactly where we thought the show was on the money and where the show <laughs> spit the bit. We'll talk about it all. $5 a month. And also my greatest upsets in boxing history. Um, You'll get to hear the latest one that I'll be recording later this week, which was the great uh, Lennox Lewis getting knocked out by Haseen Rockman in a shocking upset in South Africa in front of Nelson Mandela and thousands of his South African um, uh, people. In an unbelievable upset, and I'll be doing that show in a few days. But also, I have, uh, I believe, let me see, we're in September now. So, that that would be the seventh of a series of the ten greatest upsets in boxing history. So, you got what I'll be recording. Haseen Rockman's April 2001 shocking knockout upset of Lennox Lewis. Iran Barkley's June 1988 shocking knockout upset of Thomas Hearns. November 1996, Junior Jones shocking upset of the legendary Marco Antonio Barrera. September 1986, Lloyd Hunnigan's shocking upset of Donald Curry. 
July 1978, Villamar Fernandez's shocking upset of Alexis Arguello. November 1972, Esteban de Jesus' shocking upset of Roberto Duran. And last but not least, January 1994, Frankie Randall ends the historic undefeated streak of Julio Cesar Chavez. All available for $5 a month on the Patreon feed, as well as exclusive coverage of UFC, Bellator, WWE, AEW, MLW, Impact, NWA, etc. All on the Fight Game Patreon podcast. The link is in the description. Now, on to Friday night's card in Newark, New Jersey. First, you had up Cooley up Keyshawn Davis. And Keyshawn Davis has all the talent in the world as he beat up Julio Tienda. Stopped him in the fifth round in his first, I believe, eight-round fight. 6-0 and now with five knockouts. Keyshawn Davis at lightweight has a lot of potential, and and he'll probably grow into a junior welterweight by the time he p- becomes a world title contender. Olympic silver medalist. Slick boxer. Throws combinations and bunches and punches. Got nice power. The man... Has a ceiling that is unlimited right now. I just want to see the young man step up the competition some more. Like like the fact that he's now fighting eight rounders in his sixth fight. Let's get a couple of more eight rounders under, under his belt. Then go to ten rounds and we'll take it from there. Keyshawn Davis, one of the top five prospects on the planet as far as future world champions. Now we go on to the main event. Oh, before we go to the main event, I was very impressed by Henry LeBron, Puerto Rico's own Henry LeBron, with a decisive eight-round decision over Andy Vences. Andy Vences is a tough fighter. He gives everybody hell. He is now the ultimate gatekeeper in his division. Well, Henry LeBron has proven that he is a true contender and I didn't like the fact that this fight was 8 rounds he shouldn't be fighting 8 rounds anymore he should be fighting 10 12 rounds every fight Henry LeBron until he gets a world title shot now on to the main event they say the attendance was 10,107 fans in attendance I was there took my nephew uh, wore my uh, buddy from Detroit Barry check out his uh Twitter page, Uprising Shop. Um, tremendous artists with great apparel, t-shirts, hoodies, etc. He made me a custom Thomas Hearns shirt that has yet to be released. He made it for me. Uh, I had purchased a Malice at the Palace, Detroit Pistons, Indiana Pacers t-shirt from him. And in memory of my beloved son who passed away six months ago, Barry made that T-shirt for me and 
this is a project he's working on, Hometown Heroes. Uh, Thomas Hearns is the guy he's he, he, he's going to make an, uh, another set of T-shirts on. He, this is the only one that he's made so far. So this was like a sample T-shirt. He gave it to me, and um, everybody around where I was sitting at was asking, oh, where you get that T-shirt for? Well, it's not on sale yet, fellas. I met... Uh, Long-time uh, listener of all my shows, Carl Bristol. Shout out to Carl out there. We hooked up. He, we, 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 we took a couple of pictures. I posted on Twitter. Um, also, my man Gritty from Detroit. We were, we were supposed to meet up because he was there, but his phone died, and he couldn't. And he wasn't able to look on his phone and see my location. But hopefully, if I attend... Uh, in three weeks, the Deontay Wilder Robert Hellenius fight at the Barclays Center in Brooklyn, we will hook up. Um, depending on my mother's condition, as a lot of you know, my mother has been very ill twice in the last two weeks, as you will hear this. And hopefully, fingers crossed, she is recovering. She is recuperating even more than she is now. She almost died twice in the last two weeks she had severe, her kidneys almost stopped running when I brought her into the emergency room on Wednesday September 14th Monday September 19th her kidneys had gone back to normal they were looking to send my mother to a rehab center to work on her walking because her arthritis has her arthritis plus her kidney infection had caused her to keep falling down and really, really, really got in the way of her even walking a few steps. But unfortunately, Tuesday morning, she had a seizure and she almost flatlined. She was in an induced coma and the staff at Mount Sinai Hospital in Spanish Harlem, great hospital. I was born in that hospital. My mother has had several operations there um, throughout her entire life since coming to America 68 years ago. She'll be 75 in hmm, less than October, in less than three months, a little bit over two months, she'll be... 75 years old, God willing. Well, she was in a induced, medically induced coma to all Tuesday, the, the entire Tuesday, the entire Tuesday. No, yeah, all of Tuesday, she was in a coma. Tuesday night, the doctors told my sister and I we might have to prepare for her journey into the afterworld, the afterlife. Wednesday morning, I went to the hospital thinking this might be the last time I I saw my mother alive. I may never see her. Con I didn't think I would ever see her conscious again. When I showed up to the hospital Wednesday morning, her eyes were open. And while she was in a daze, I kissed her on her forehead. I could not believe she was alive. Thursday morning, she was much more alert. Friday morning, she was talking. They stood her up to clean her up. And she she kept complaining that she was thirsty. Oh man! Uh, and then um today I'm recording this Saturday night, September twenty fourth. 
um, her breathing levels went down too low, so they put her on an oxygen uh, a tank with a mask on, got her breathing back to normal, and right now she's resting overnight. I will see her again tomorrow morning. I will see her every morning before I go to work. Thank God I work nights so I can spend the morning hanging out with my mother and uh, cherishing every moment with her and ho- helping her as she goes through what looks like to be a very long um, road to recovery, but I'd rather have a road to recovery with my mother than no road at all. All right, back to Friday night. They claimed 10,107 people. You could ask Gritty, you could ask Carl. There was more than 10,000 people there. I don't know where they got these numbers from. All the seats from the levels around were sold out except for the very top cheap seats. There was scattered uh, empty seats up there. I, there's, there's no way it was only 10,107 people. Hell no. I believe the Prudential Center holds 17,000. There was no way in the world there were 7,000 seats empty Saturday, uh, Friday night at the at the Prudential Center. That being said, the crowd was raucous. It was 90% black people. So that right there spits in the face of those who claim black folk don't support their fighters, don't support boxers, don't support boxing. Ladies and gentlemen, I've said this on several platforms. What keeps boxing alive in America are Hispanic and black fans. Period. End of story. Shakur Stevenson against Robeson Conseco. It was a one-sided masterpiece by Shakur Stevenson. He knocked down Conseco in the fourth round with a beautiful hook to the body. He made Conseco miss all night. He was walking down Conseco, landing beautiful, beautiful left crosses to the body, to the face. That left hand landed at will last two three rounds uh Shakur took his foot off the pedal and he knew he wasn't going to knock out Kaseko so he just made ropes and miss all the time and he easily wins I gave him every round but he lost the point because uh he gave ropes in the hip toss straight out of WWE it was hilarious almost a Ricky the Dragon Steamboat type uh hip toss Shakur who was overweight didn't make weight so he gave up the belts at at the weigh-in and people were complaining oh he didn't show discipline he didn't make weight man fuck y'all all All right this was going to be Stevens's last fight 130 pounds so what whoop-de-damn-do he didn't make weight Robeson had no shot in the world. People were, oh, Robeson got screwed. Robeson ain't a pimple on Shakur Stevenson's ass when it comes to talent. Only way he could have beaten Stevenson Saturday night was with a shotgun. Stevenson's moving up to 135, and eventually he's going to either fight Lomachenko or Devin Haney for the undisputed lightweight championship of the world. We'll take it from there. That's He's going to fight either one of those guys probably next fall. And it will be a classic. And I will save my thoughts on who would win between Shakur and Haney or Shakur versus Lomachenko when that time comes. I have said this over and over again. Shakur Stevenson will be 
by the end of next year, the best fighter on the planet. Period. End of story. He's the best defensive fighter in the world. Offensively, he's as gifted as anybody in the world. And he's in my top five pound for pound right now. So by the end of next year, he could easily be number one. Now on to Saturday's tremendous heavyweight action fight in England between Joe Joyce and Joe and Joseph Parker. About a decade ago, I thought that Joseph Parker was going to be one of the next great heavyweights alongside Tyson Fury and Deontay Wilder. And then Anthony Joshua. I thought it was going to be those four guys battling it out for supremacy in the heavyweight division. Well, Fury, Wilder, and Joshua did live up to my prediction, but Parker fell short. And it started with, well, first he beat Andy Ruiz. He outboxed Andy Ruiz to win the WBO title. Then he lost that WBO title to Anthony Joshua in a fight in which Parker didn't take any chances and he allowed Joshua to outbox him. He lost a tough decision to Dillian White. Uh, Joseph Parker has taken a step back and now his career is in jeopardy because he took a horrific pounding Saturday just a few hours ago as I record this against Joe Joyce. Joe Joyce is... God damn, Joe Joyce is a machine. He walks you down behind that great left jab, but he has a great left jab, and he's an accurate puncher with heavy hands in both hands. He bloodied Joseph Parker's right eye with a beautiful right hand in the sixth round. He kept coming out. Parker hit Joyce with some thunderous uppercuts and right crosses. It didn't phase Joyce. He kept coming. He kept coming behind that booming jab. He was landing power shot after power shot. He hurt Parker several times. And finally, at the beginning of the 11th round, he landed one of the best left hooks of the year, one of the best knockouts of the year, a bomb of a left hook that drops Parker. Parker got up at the count of 10 too late. Joe Joyce wins the bogus WBO interim world title. That's a bullshit belt. Get that belt and throw it out the fucking window, all right? What what uh Joyce did was win a fight either against Alexander Usyk or Tyson Fury. Let's see what happens. Right now, there's rumors that Tyson Fury is going to fight Anthony Joshua in December. We will see. I'm not holding my breath. We will see. If the fight happens, it happens. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. Until there's a signed contract in a press conference, I'm not going to get happy. Now, if the fight is confirmed, then I'll talk about it because, you know, that's an interesting matchup. But right now, it could be all smoke and mirrors. Anyway, Joe Joyce is a problem. He right now, in my opinion, is the real boogeyman of the heavyweight division. The man is a tough, ferocious fighter for anybody. I mean, he's not the best heavyweight in the world, but he has a type of style that could give an Alexander Usyk problems because 
no matter how gifted a boxer Usyk is, Joyce is going to keep coming. Keep coming, and he's got heavy hands in both hands. And he's got a booming jab. A jab that could offset the offensive wizardry and movement movement of the great Alexander Usyk. So we will see. We will see, ladies and gentlemen, as we uh see what what go what, what's next for Joe Joyce. As far as Joseph Parker goes, he's a gatekeeper for the heavyweight division if he continues to fight. He's going to fall in line with the Dillian Whites and Derek Chisora's Ch- of the world where he'll be fighting the Jared Andersons and the Frank Sanchez's that are up and coming and trying to get a shot at a world title. But no longer is Joseph Parker a world title contender. Now, ladies and gentlemen, on to my 22nd greatest fighter of the last 45 years in my series of articles that I've written on FightGameMedia.com. Today, my number 22nd that I'll be talking about is the golden boy, Oscar De La Hoya. If you think Saul Canelo Alvarez is divisive in terms of popularity among modern-day boxing fans, he had nothing on his former mentor and promoter, Oscar De La Hoya. The self-proclaimed golden boy was immensely popular among Mexican-American and female boxing fans. When it came to traditional hardcore boxing fans, the reviews were mixed. Despite the criticism, Oscar fought at a level of greatness and popularity that has rarely been matched. Those qualities easily made the multi-division world champion the 22nd greatest fighter of the last 45 years. After the, after winning the gold medal at the 1992 Summer Olympics in Barcelona at, at 132 pounds, De La Hoya signed a huge deal with Bob Arum and ABC Television. It would be similar to the deal Sugar Ray Leonard signed after winning his gold medal 16 years earlier. Ironically, my father always compared Oscar to Leonard, as he said they were both good-looking young men who were considered unthreatening minorities by the general public. That same blueprint followed by Oscar would generate over $700 million in earnings in a 17-year fight career. Early in his career, Oscar won bogus world titles at 130 and 135, as recognized by the WBO. I never considered these titles legitimate because at the time the WBO was considered a joke of a sanctioning body. It wasn't until May 6, 1995, in his 18th pro fight, that I considered Oscar to have fought for and won a legitimate world title. That night, he destroyed Rafael Morales in the second round to win the WBC 135-pound crown. Seven months later, I took my father to see Oscar fight Jesse James Leha at Madison Square Garden. My father and I were very impressed by Oscar's one-sided beating of the always durable Leha, who took such a ferocious beating that he quit on his stool after round two. This would be an appetizer before what would be the first of a plethora of super fights Oscar would engage in. On June 7, 1996, De La Hoya faced Mexican legend and longtime reigning WBC 140-pound champion Julio Cesar Chavez in the single biggest fight between a Mexican-American, De La Hoya, and a Mexican, Chavez. Promoter Bob Arum attempted to turn the clock back by not airing this monumental fight on pay-per-view. Instead, it would be broadcast throughout the United States in closed circuit 
theaters throughout the country. I took my then girlfriend and my father once again to Madison Square Garden to witness what Pops and I predicted would be Oscar's corona- coronation as the biggest star in boxing. Oscar, at 5'11", was three inches taller, quicker, and stronger than the flat-footed Chavez. Chavez had absolutely no chance in hell against the 23-year-old golden boy. Oscar landed his vaunted left jab at Will, battering the soon-to-be 34-year-old Mexican legend into a bloody mess. Referee Joe Cortez had no choice but to stop the gruesome massacre late in round four. For the next 12 years, Oscar would reign as the sports box office king. Oscar will move up to 147 pounds on April 12, 1997 to challenge longtime WBC welterweight champion Pernell Whitaker. At this point in time, Pernell was considered past his prime and tailor-made for Oscar to shine in victory. However, someone forgot to give Sweet Pea the script. Whitaker put on one of his vintage defensive performances, totally confusing the golden boy as he made Oscar miss all night. In a fight that of that could have gone either way, Oscar was given a far too wide unanimous decision. Oscar, like Leonard did over 15 years earlier, refused to give a tough adversary an immediate rematch after a tough win. De La Hoya instead focused on the other 147-pound champions in the division, the WBA champion I Corte and IBF champion Felix Trinidad. On February 13, 1999, Oscar and Corte faced off in one of the greatest 147-pound world title fights of all time. Corte had abdicated his IBF version of the welterweight title, but for all intents and purposes, this was for the right to face Trinidad and the right to be considered the real 147-pound king. The fight was up for grabs going into the 12th and final round. Oscar scored a late-round knockdown to eke out a split decision, setting up what many expected to be the greatest welterweight unification fight since the September 16, 1981 fight between Thomas Hearns and Sugar Ray Leonard. The matchup between 147-pound WBC champion De La Hoya and 147-pound IBF champion Trinidad took place on September 18, 1999, almost 18 years to the day of the iconic Leonard Hearns fight. My father and I salivated at seeing what we thought would be a surefire classic. Unfortunately, we were wrong. De La Hoya wisely used his superior boxing ability to dominate the first eight rounds by completely neutralizing Trinidad's one-punch power in both hands. Then after Trinidad stunned De La Hoya in the ninth round with a thudding right cross, Oscar decided to play prevent defense the rest of the night. Erroneously thinking he had banked enough rounds, De La Hoya ran away the last three rounds and gave away what should have been a clear-cut decision. Although both Pop and I thought De La Hoya had done enough to win a decision, the three judges scoring that fight didn't see it that way. Trinidad shockingly won a majority decision, not only resulted in Oscar's first career loss, but it would also be the first time he didn't get the benefit of a close decision. It would also be the turning point in Oscar's career. Six months later, Oscar was handed back the WBC welterweight title after Trinidad vacated the title. It would be a short-lived title reign. On June 17, 2000, Oscar defended his WBC title against childhood friend Sugar Shane Mosley.
in one of the best 147-pound title fights of my lifetime, Mosley came on strong late in the fight to defeat Oscar via split decision. After a short absence from the sport, Oscar moved up to 154 pounds and defeated WBC champion Javier Casillejo to once again become a world champion. Oscar's next fight would once again be for a unified world title, this time against the WBA 154-pound champion and longtime rival Fernando Vargas. In what I consider De La Hoya's most satisfying victory, De La Hoya knocked out Vargas on September 14, 2002 in the 11th round to unify both the WBC and WBA Super Welterweight titles. Immediately, De La Hoya sought out, sought out redemption for his prior loss to Mosley. The rematch took, a place, took place a year later on September 13, 2003. In my opinion, it was the finest performance of De La Hoya's magnificent career as he thoroughly outboxed Mosley over the entirety of the 12 rounds. Inexplicably, all three judges scored the fight in favor of Mosley. For the second time in four years, De La Hoya lost a questionable decision in Las Vegas. De La Hoya then moved up to middleweight in anticipation of a fight with the undisputed champion Bernard Hopkins. Before his super fight with Hopkins, Oscar faced the undefeated German boxer Felix Sturm in an attempt to win another bogus world title. Sturm was the WBO 160-pound champion. The WBO was still, and today, and they are still, in my opinion to this day, illegitimate championship. And I saw this again as Oscar attempting to falsify an already great legacy by adding another bogus crown. On the evening of June 5th, 2004, Oscar looked lethargic and old as he was completely dominated by the machine gun left jab of Sturms. Shockingly, De La Hoya won a unanimous decision despite getting his ears boxed off. It looked like the powers that be... We're making sure that the September 2004 super fight between Oscar and Hopkins would not be denied. The night of September 18, 2004, Oscar fought the undisputed middleweight champion Bernard Hopkins in a surprisingly competitive fight. The first eight rounds saw Oscar frustrate the much taller and stronger champion by staying outside in boxing. Then, late in round nine, Hopkins landed one of the greatest one-punch left-hook body shots in boxing history, paralyzing Oscar to the point where he was unable to beat the 10 count. Hopkins earned his biggest paycheck and added another huge name to his legendary career. Oscar would net over $30 million in the loss to Hopkins. He had started Golden Boy Promotions and appeared, and it appeared that he was about to transition into full-time boxing promoter. 17 months later, he returned to the ring. On May 6, 2006, Oscar returned against the WBC super welterweight champion Ricardo Mayorga. Mayorga was a brawler whose best defense was his chin. De La Hoya stopped Mayorga in the sixth round to once again win a world title, resulting in a match against Floyd Mayweather that would briefly set the all-time boxing pay-per-view record. In every sport, the key to continued growth and prosperity is the ability for the torch to be passed from one grade to the next. On May 5th, 2007, De La Hoya's fight against Mayweather accomplished just that. In setting the pay-per-view record, De La Hoya's close loss to Mayweather set up Floyd as the perfect replacement as the new box office king of boxing.
It should have been the end of Oscar's career. Oscar, like the vast majority of legends before him, fought one too many fights. De La Hoya fought the much smaller and younger Manny Pacquiao on December 6, 2008. Manny had never fought above 135 pounds before that night and was five inches shorter than Oscar. The now 35-year-old Oscar came into the ring that night an overwhelming favorite. He fought as though he aged 10 years overnight. Oscar laid on the ropes and took a ferocious one-sided beating before retiring for good on a stool at the end of the eighth round. In his last two losses, Oscar passed the torch to two of the biggest box office stars in boxing history, Mayweather and Pacquiao. Oscar De La Hoya finished his career with a record of 39-6 with 30 knockouts, except for Rinky White. He fought every great fighter from 140 to 160 pounds in his career. He was vastly underrated in his boxing ability as his left jab was a problem to go along with his violent left hook. The golden boy was more than just a pretty boy. He was a great fighter who more than held his own with the greats of his era. Ladies and gentlemen, until next week, be blessed and be a blessing.